You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. I I always love this quote because it gets me in this mindset um, of how I look at things. You know, Oscar Wilde said, we should treat all the trivial things of life seriously and all the serious things of life with this sincere and studied triviality. You know, th- that we need to have a little bit of, of levity and keep a perspective on what's important and what's not important. And the things that are often dismissed as trivial, you know, they're the stuff that make up life. They're the things that we interact with daily. Yeah, and I think that if we don't, if we can't take the trivial seriously, we miss the beauty of the art around us. Well, yeah, that sort of stuff is worth taking time to look at and appreciate. And so with that in mind today, we are going to take a serious look at a trivial thing, and we're going to be looking at a child's toy and thinking about the, the work that goes into it with the Lego Hidden Side Collection. I feel like who art ed? Try to splice it. Who art ed? Mr. Wood art ed me. <laughs> yeah. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to a great start. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and joining me today is David Pittman. Thank you very much for having me, Kyle, today. And I am so excited to, to talk about, and I will, I will say, not just a child's toy, but a, but a people's toy, a human's toy. Uh, and I'm so excited <laughs> to, to hear about and talk about today. It is a people's toy because it is for, I think, age seven and up. Or at least that's what I tell myself, because I was probably more excited than my son when I first saw that Lego had augmented reality. Um, but to take it back, I, I do want to start off with a little bit of the history. And, you know, I, I find it hard to, to find a lot of the details. I wasn't able to find as much background as I would like. But reaching out through social media and other things, I was able to find some people who pointed me in the direction of a few interesting things. Like I was able to find, um, you know, some notes by one of the developers and this this is full of Lego's an international company with an international team, and I am going to mispronounce names. So if anybody ever hears this from Lego, I apologize. I respect your work, and I would love a correction if someone can tell me. But 
Nick Van Slagmat. Um, he's a Lego designer, and he actually put out notes on um, on the website Brickset.com. He shared some of his notes on sets that he developed. So he started working on the hidden side, like from the earliest stages. And the earliest stages, he says, it started around 2017. Um, in September of 2017, he was working on, on these, these sets. They were released starting in August, 2019. So two years in development. Uh, I, I always think it's worth taking time to point out two years in development. Um, like this is something that people take a lot of time and put a lot of effort into thinking about, make multiple prototypes to figure out what's going to be the best user experience. Um, so he designed the the bus from start to finish. And one thing he was saying in his in his work was, in his notes, he was saying, it's really hard for a designer to, to make the hidden side sets because you're trying to create something that is a fun toy to play with in the physical experience, but it also has to work with the augmented reality. Like it can't change the silhouette as it's transforming. Otherwise the camera and the, the, the program's not going to recognize it. Um, and so like, it's, it's really difficult to work with that and balance those competing needs to have something that's fun in the real and the virtual setting. Um, he said once one solution tended to be to make a lot of locations, a lot of sets that are sort of sprawling locations. You've got the the school, the lighthouse, the shrimp shack, the all sorts of different stuff. There, um, you know, when he made the vehicle, the the bus, he said it was a really hard thing because he couldn't take the roof off. He couldn't have the roof moving, or it would it would cause problems in the the app. So he created his innovation was creating like a set that could pull out mm. the insides, mm-hmm. like the little lab that's removable, which I thought was kind of cool. And I believe that that um, that piece that's movable um, can interact, and he wanted the, the bus to interact with, or one of the designers wanted the bus to be able to interact with other pieces, which is why you have yes. the bus stop at the uh, Newberry High School. Um, well, and yeah, and that's another theme that seems to be coming up is this is all about these connections. Um, so um, the the senior Lego designer, Yi Ching Chang, um, he designed the Newberry High School. And there is a video on YouTube where you, you can see him talking about what he was what he was thinking about. And I, I love the way he thinks about it and the way he describes the problem solving and the ideas behind it because he was all about making connections. Like he wanted that bus to be able to pull up to the bus stop. So that's why he's got that bus stop as sort of this little attachment. He want, The transformation, though, seems to be the biggest aspect of this because all of these sets, and I got to say, like as someone who grew up, in a Lego world of his own making. Like, I love that transformation aspect. Like that was so cool to me how all of these have these moving parts. And I, I love simple machines. I love looking at and seeing how, how these hinges work, how the, how the, the, the hidden compartment works and you turn it and, Oh, there's the, the creepy portrait and the, the glowing bear or whatever it is. Um, 
or the claws come out of the high school. Like I, I love that transformational element that there are moving pieces to work with. It's not this static sculpture. In some ways, um, you know, to make a connection to a previous episode, this feels like it's like the next evolution of like Alexander Calder's work because it is this, this motion and this interactive element and it's this kinetic sculpture. But then also when you, when you connect a device, it takes you into this whole other world. Um, and with Lego, they have a history of like not wanting to glorify violence. So there are no themes that, that are, that are war themes. Um, like the founder of Lego specifically did not ever want that to be something that, that, um, he was marketing with his toys. So, so there are no war themes and the ghost battle I think is, is just fun because like, it's spooky, but it's nonviolent. Like it's, it's, you know, they're, they're using phones and technology to sort of zap the ghosts and, and get them away. Um, which I, I also think is, it's just a clever thing of the, the parallel between the way the figures are working, you know, in the narrative and the way that, you know, the person who, who plays with it is utilizing it as well. Um, but uh, Yi Cheng Cheng, like I said, he was sort of the senior designer, but he was just part of a team of people working on this. And he said he made about 10 uh, different prototypes trying to work out like what's the right tone, what's the right form for this. And, and in that video on YouTube, you can see uh, a number of those different models that he has created. And you can see different color schemes, different sort of expressions. You can see some similar elements that sort of went from set to set, which I think is, is a cool thing as well. Um, Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. But I think now would be a good time to sort of do our little bit of like a, a gallery talk and just look at the specifically the hidden side high school, Newberry high school as a work of art. So as you're looking at this, what kinds of, what do, what do you see? What, what's jumping out to you? To me, I, when I, when I look at not only just like the, the original composition, like let's start there with the original composition of the high school itself. And you've got this very new England, um, you know, a stately high school that could also be seen in an urban setting, like not just in New England, a countryside, but like a more urban. So you've got a kind of a functionality there. Uh, but you have a very stately um, high school with the bell tower and the turrets and the archway and, and, and kind of what you see even in, in pop culture of movies. You, you have this very quintessential school building. Um, yeah. And it, 
and I, I love that you bring that up about it being the quote unquote quintessential school building. It has that feel of a traditional school from like about a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. And one thing about like architecture and the history of school designs, they were like um, around that time, like around a hundred years ago. Like when I look at the old school buildings from like the the twenties, thirties, and stuff like that, they were modeled to look like universities with the idea that the students entering that building would get into that academic mindset because they're seeing something that has all those signifiers of an old university, like the Ivy League. It looks like an Ivy League building. So like where I live, um, like in Brookfield, everything is like a hundred years old. And a lot of the buildings are just gorgeous old buildings. And, and this has that same look of like the old brick building that is, you know, made to reference, you know, Ivy League architecture, um, which was made to reference a lot of like ancient. Right. Well, uh, and if you look no. at the like, like when you say Ivy League, you look at it. They have the, that that greenery, right? And yeah. and it's not though. It's also not a like perfect school. Like you start as you zoom in on the small details, you start to see the cracks. And you have this ivy kind of growing up, and these slightly tentacular tentacle. I don't know what that's the right word coming out, and you have these spikes spikes over at the at the bench and. And then you have like the with the gothic or like gargoyle kind of perched atop um, the bat uh, perched atop the bell tower, and you get what's great is that you get this sense of decrepitness, to like um, that there's something else going on, but it's not apparent at first view. You're like, oh, well, it's a, it, that's yeah. a beautiful, beautiful high school. Well, yeah, it it it. it captures a lot of little subtle details like we see the exposed brick as you say the the roots and stuff coming out almost are like little tentacles which which help to set the tone even before the transformation happens um along with that on similar lines they put in these little details to show like it's an older building that's showing somewhere. So it's got like a broken window or the the slight like you know, like a broken piece at the the top or like we've got some exposed bricks and and things like that. Um, we've got uh, the the grotesque of a a stone. I, I would assume it's intended to be a stone grotesque um, of like a bat figure at the top of the bell tower. Um, I say a stone grotesque because like uh, a grotesque is like um, it's the the stone embellishments that are like sculptures. Mm. Uh, gargoyle is actually a specific type of stone grotesque. Ah, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, gargoyles are actually functional objects. Like um, we think of them as sort of anthropomorphized. Usually, There's a lot of them in Gothic architecture was designed um, referencing myth- mythology, um, but people have this idea that gargoyles were protecting buildings in like this superstitious sense of like warding off evil spirits, but they actually protected buildings by warding off erosions. A gargoyle is a fancy gutter system. Uh, Gargoyles have big open mouths because there's a pipe leading through them. Water drains down the roof, goes through the gargoyle and gets spit away from the foundation of the building. So they are not merely decorative, but they are also That's functional. amazing. Well, just and, and isn't that much much like this piece, not just decorative, yeah. going to functional, and that's I think you know, 
when you look at the transformation of this building and the use of like contrasting colors the first thing like not only the transformation itself like how do all these if you look at it just like on the box or right like how like yeah. what's what's the finished product going to look like you're like how did eyes and a mouth and claws and all of these different pieces where how did these get built in and it does take an, an entirely different look now as you as it transforms you look back to the original and you don't see like oh you can start to see like well i see where they had the face but you don't look at the original like you know quote non non-revealed or the the non-hidden yeah. side and go well i'm gonna i see a monster's gonna pop out of here the whole school is you know it's just like it completely transforms Oh yeah, and I mean the school comes to life essentially. Like it, it anthropomorphizes that building. It gives it an expression. It gives it a mood. It gives it a personality, which I think you know for something that is playing with augmented reality. And I think this was their first foray into augmented reality with with uh, Lego set collection. Um, you know, having something that is ghosts and paranormal and and puts that personality into the buildings i think that was a brilliant way to go um i think it 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 is so open-ended in terms of the way that they can create these transformations and um the the designer said that it was really important to him that it be something that could transform and then be reset he wanted the eyes to be able to come out, but then easily be put back. And so a lot of things sort of click into place. And, and there's, like I said, there's a lot of simple machines in there um, that are just really sort of elegant in, in their simplicity. But like, I, I, th- I never would have thought of it. It is so innovative. It's, it's the kind of thing I look at and I think like, well, of course that works, but but I never would have thought of that if I didn't see it done first, you know? Well, that's one of the beauties um, of Lego is, like, you have these pieces that you're very familiar with. They don't create... Yeah. It's it's a big thing when they create a new piece. It's it, yeah. it's not... It, and you have this thing that used to be a wrench in your old set um, or was a claw on a dragon in an old set and now is being used as part of a lever system and with a different rod or you know with a different uh hook piece or um and i'm not i'm not using the correct terms but these things that you never thought went together and now they're being reimagined and reused to create a simple machine or to create a system of of levers that can that can reveal a, a set of claws yeah and and like I said, the fact that it can be reset and that that it can be rearranged and that transformation, I think, because that's central to what the appeal of Lego. Lego is that sandbox toy. It's it's modular. You know, it's got all these pieces that connect and can be rearranged in different ways. Um, that's part of the fun of the play. And they, all the pieces, you know, throughout the history of Lego, from I think 1958 on are all compatible. So like if you took like the antiques from, you know, even before you or I were born, they would still be, they would still work and connect to the pieces that are made today, which I think is a wonderful detail and aspect about them and their history. Um, 
To wrap this up, though, and I'm wrapping it up I want just a three-point rating scale. And Where should this hang? The Lou? Is this something to look at? The lab. the lab? Is this something to learn from? Or the Lou? British for bathroom. The yeah, there's the a poop joke in there somewhere. Oh, that's terrible. I definitely, I love, I love the, the three choices, and it makes it very, very difficult. And I want to take some, like, easy way out and say well it should be in a lab in the louvre and like (laughs) you know as like a as a because i want to go back to this because i think this is important though to like it it belongs in the lab um because what i love about lego is that so so when else do you get to really go through the process that an artist went through to create something Um, when do you like get to take the paints that a painter had and follow the very clear, very <laughs> well done steps, unless it's a colored by number, but even that isn't the like actual process of recreating it. And you get to step in the shoes of the artist. Yeah. Um, and that's what I would say like the lab, because this, this, this can be replicated. It can be, you can take it and use it as inspiration and go into your own piece now and see how you could use that to create um, a, a hidden feature that can pop out and be, be reset. Um, and, and that's where it's also a learning tool of design and engineering and color composition and, um, and and creative thought all in one that needs to be then taken out by someone who's used it and, and replicated. I I fully agree with everything that you said. Um, at, I'm not even gonna disagree. I'm not gonna disagree and say it belongs somewhere else. I'm gonna say yes and. Mm-hmm. I'm like. You know, because I think it belongs there, but it does also, like, I'm going to make the case for the Louvre. And I could make the case for all of them. <laughs> like, I, I could make the case that, like, oh, it belongs in the Louvre because this is something that, that is a functional object and it is great in its time and place, and but it, it doesn't need to be held around forever. But what I would say for, for the, the Louvre, if I get back to that quote from Oscar Wilde where he said, we should treat all the trivial things in life seriously. I think this is something that that is like it, it it's easily easily looked past as a toy and trivial but it is like there's serious design going on there. There's some really clever innovation that that we can learn from absolutely. This is a learning piece. This is a learning piece for people of any age, you know. Mm-hmm. But also there's an elegance to it. There's a sophistication to this craft. Um, the final product, I got to say, having looked carefully, because I, I, I took screenshots of the video as he took out every different model and stuff like that. And as I looked carefully at it, they definitely revised and they picked the best one. They took the best elements from the different models. And, and the final product is a thing of beauty. It is a thing to look at and enjoy. And honestly, like I would love to see this blown up to mm. a scale where I could walk into it. Like the only thing that I would say as a failing of this set is I wish it had more depth to it. Like in, and I mean that in a literal sense. There like if you it, mm-hmm. it is very much like a, a wide and thin. 
you know, you turn it, there's the front and the back, there's not as much depth to it. And that's that's largely because of the, the limitations of the augmented reality app and well, the camera needs to see it. And Kyle, I know this is the wrap-up session, and you can cut this part out if you want to, but yeah. um, that's something we didn't get even get into, is the expansiveness of the augmented reality piece. That this, that, 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 that being on top of it, creates this whole other experience and that's what creates that an actual multimedia art piece yeah um, yeah and it, it's a whole new set of artists who are doing that too you've got writers who are coming up with this narrative you've got um you've got like graphic designers you've got coders who are coming up with the, the gameplay mm-hmm. you've got animators who are making the different segments that get sort of stitched together and everything like that you've got like it's a massive team of people working together to make this. And in, in another sense, I, I also just having worked with teams before, it's kind of amazing that it's also unified right. and it all works together yeah. so well, you know, like, well, and it's, it's a, it's a hard thing for people to negotiate that, like having their ideas and their passions, but also having room to let others get their ideas in there and you put it you you said that like you know it took two years and i don't often enjoy the like well we're gonna take like when people say like we have 10 years of experience between the three of us you know like when they i don't like when they do that because that's often like well no you each have three years or whatever experience yeah but like for this to say how many hours were put into it if you put that towards one person on one piece of art it would yeah. it could equal a very large chunk of your life putting into one piece, but because there were so many people collaborating on it, it was able to be off in two in two years. Um, yeah, it. I like I said, I I love this piece. I, you know, it's it's a shame Lego's not sponsoring us, but you well, know I'm gonna shill for them anyways. Maybe maybe <laughs> one day, this yeah. is the episode that does it. But. <laughs> But I love I love that it gave me an excuse to sit here talk to you about Lego and designers and different careers in the arts beyond just the the studio artist creating something for the gallery and hopefully the museum because the art world is so much more than that um, and I I appreciate that this also gave me an excuse to play with my son's Legos <laughs> not that you really really need one but. I really don't. I really don't. I love it. Uh, Thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted? If you found this tolerable, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week in the show notes on Twitter at WoodArtEd and on the website whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.